friends, and welcome to Screen Vomit, the only movie podcast for normal people. I'm your host, Kayla. Here with me is my best pal, Kali J. Quack, quack, babies. Today is a very special day because this is our two-year anniversary episode. Can you believe? What? Cool. Two years. <laughs> Neat. We're two years old today, and we are big, big babies, and to celebrate that... We have chosen a film that, well, I don't want to say the film is near and dear to our hearts, but stars someone near and dear to our hearts. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the film we chose is the 2012 film Cosmopolis, which is written and directed by David Cronenberg, okay, who we've previously done uh, his film Maps to the Stars on pod a few months ago. Obviously, you know, David Cronenberg, he did The Fly, he did Videodrome, among others. Yeah. And starring in this film is our boy, Robert Pattinson. (laughs) That's right, baby. The Patton stands are back. (laughs) I gotta tell you, what's been our track record with Pattinson recently? Okay, so on this podcast, we have covered High Life, which... We both loved. Great movie. Lighthouse, which is, I think, a lost episode. I don't think that ever came out, actually. But we did do an episode on Lighthouse. And great movie. (laughs) Great movie, yeah. Sure, sure. Devil All the Time, which I thought was pretty good and you hate it. Yes, bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) And we did Maps to the Stars, which I loved. Fine. I remember thinking it was all right. I think that's it. Am I missing any? No, I think I'm... Oh. Good time. We did good time as well, which I we both good time. loved. Okay, yeah. So we, we okay. It's been great. I think somewhere in between Devil All the Time, map maybe between Maps of the Stars and now, I watched Eclipse. I think that's the second Twilight oh. movie. <laughs> and I think yeah, because I'm having especially. <laughs> look, I'm not a proud patent stand right now. Mm, you're feeling some patent shame. I'm, I got a little patent shame right now. <laughs> Because you've only recently partaken in the Twilight movies for the first time. Uh, yes. Which also should be said, this is his first movie past the Twilight movies. So Cosmopolis is? Yep. An wow. interesting juxtaposition uh, for you to be in. Yeah. All right. Also in this movie, we have Queen Juliette Binoche, who was also in High Life that we yeah. said we did on the pod. Yeah. Um, we have Sarah Gaydon who was in Black Bear that we just did, and she was also in Maps to the Stars. So we've got a full uh, swing of people who have been in other movies we've already done on the pod. Paul Giamatti, who uh, is most famous for being in Big Mama's House. Oh, yeah. And Sideways. Big Fat Liar, (laughs) The Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man 2. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kevin Durand, who is in Lost and 310 to Yuma, and also most famously Big Mama's House 2. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We have uh, Emily Hampshire from Schitt's Creek. That was cool to see her in there. Jay Baruchel, who is a uh, Judd Apatow boy, who is in yeah. Knocked Up. He is in Undeclared. Also in four episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay. Uh, also the voice of Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. Okay, never seen. And lastly that I'm going to name, we have Samantha Morton, who is in Synecdoche, New York, which is a movie I just talked about last Mm -hmm. episode or two episodes ago. That's all for cast. We also have, though, uh, the score of this movie was composed by Howard Shore, who did the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies. Oh. And it was was him with Metric, 
the band Metric. Oh. And most of the awards that this movie has won were for the score. So huh. uh, I just thought that's pretty cool. I love Metric. Yeah. So I saw them open for the Smashing Pumpkins recently. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I've only seen them once, and it was at Riot Fest, I think, like six years ago or so. Yeah, they were pretty good. Yeah, they rock. Love them. All right, so what's our critic scores? Cricket scores, Rotten Tomatoes, 65%. Yeah, rough. Okay. Common Sense Media. The fuck? <laughs> four out of five stars. And, and Google users? Google users, 73%. We are yeah. all over the board here. Who knows what to think about this movie? Certainly not anyone online. Um, okay. It's not terrible we know that uh i don't know like 65 is pretty bad if you use the imperialist fascist (laughs) a b c d f method yeah (laughs) i think that's an f isn't it (laughs) uh yeah if you're a freaking teacher slash narc (laughs) all teachers are narcs they work for the government. You yeah, know, they work for the fucking government. Sorry, we don't make the rules. <laughs> uh, watch the trailer? Yeah, let's watch the trailer. <laughs> Show me my car. Any special reason we're in the car instead of the office? What makes you think we're in the car instead of the office? What do you do exactly? I think you acquire information and turn it into something stupendous and awful. It's the glow of cyber capital. So radiant and seductive. Do you ever get the feeling that you don't know what's going on? Something will happen soon. The situation isn't stable. I know. I'm losing money by the ton. Hundreds of millions. There is someone who's prepared to kill you. My personal fortune is in ruins, and there's been a credible threat on my life makes me feel free in a way I've never known. Free to do what? People eat and sleep in the shadow of what we do. This is a protest against the future. The urge to destroy is a creative urge. It's interesting to be near a man somebody wants to kill. I'm looking for more. Stun me to my DNA. Show me something I don't know. I thought you were some kind of big shot who destroyed people in the blink of an eye. You're a dangerous person. Your whole waking life is a self-contradiction. We still want what we want. Everything in our lives has brought us to this moment. Not at all what the movie is. Oh my god, I'm crying. <laughs> Holy shit. That trailer song. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just the other day listened to the Relaxer episode and we, we go off about how good the trailer is. Yeah. Uh, this is a contender for just as like <laughs> maybe the second best trailer of all time. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> it's killed me. 
actually crying. It, uh, they, oh. The movie is like... That song is so funny. The movie's very slow and dialogue-driven. And like, oh my god, if you didn't know what it's about, like... You think it's an action thriller, like yeah. a fucking <laughs> balls to the wall, sixty fucking miles, sixty hundred miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like that movie. What's that movie? Oh, Speed. Fuck, never mind. I can't think of it anymore. Speed. No, I was thinking about the one with the guy who's the transporter guy, but where he has like a heart condition. Like if his heart crank, gets, crank. Oh, <laughs> uh, crank rocks. <laughs> they play it like it's like crank <laughs> yeah it's, it's oh my god like we'll get into it but seriously this movie is just talking so much it is, of it is just yeah. talking yeah uh oh my god i haven't laughed that hard in a minute <laughs> and laughter not their intention i don't believe no uh, I maybe should warn up top anyway that I was in a chuckly mood today. I've been laughing at everything. Not that that's news, really. But <laughs> this trailer, no, it... <laughs> that was fucking funny. <laughs> in true, true to myself form, I just watched the movie. Like I just finished it an hour ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it's nothing like the it. opposite of the, <laughs> the complete opposite. <laughs> Couldn't be more opposite. No, than the trailer where... just showed it. <laughs> like. There, the the score isn't even like that. The score isn't no, like no, not at all. <laughs> Two seconds after I say how cool it is that like Metric and that other guy like did the score. That's so cool for this movie. Then they come in with this shit. <laughs> it has to be like it's like knockoff Trent Reznor shit. <laughs> yeah, it has to be like the studio or like someone I'm dying. Just, like it, it can't be Cronenberg made trailer cut trailer or anything. <laughs> no way no way oh, oh. My god oh yeah i have six pack abs now from laughing so hard uh, <laughs> which is a huge achievement for me um so yeah let's just start off with the basics this movie is based on the novel of the same name by who i saw called legendary u.s writer although i don't know any of his other books don delillo delillo i don't know how you say it i guess i sure So it's based on this book, and it's known as being an incredibly faithful adaptation of the book. So it's like basically is the book. Um, And David Cronenberg adapted it to screenplay in six days. So there was no, (laughs) not a ton of time spent on, uh, you know, finessing or anything like that. This is set in the period of time that uh, Occupy Wall Street was going on in New York. Sure. Set in New York. Although the book was written in like 2003, so, but they set this in during that. Yeah, so this was, like I said, Robert Pattinson's first role after Twilight, and boy did every single thing I read about this movie say, oh, this isn't for your Twilight freaks. (laughs) Okay, cool. If you like Twilight, you're not going to like this. <laughs> it's I, you, like, you know what? why do we even need to bring up Twilight right yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> and so, on some level, like, I get the need. I, like, I'm sure everyone knows that by the end of Twilight, Robert Pattinson fucking hated it. I think the entire time, probably. We all know he wanted to distance himself. But yeah. just don't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, and it's like... These are totally different universes comparing Cronenberg films to Twilight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
These are not meant to be anywhere near the same thing. Totally. <laughs> Just leave it yeah. out of here. <laughs> so goofy. Very smart move by Pattinson to do this, though. I would say, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you want to no longer be associated with Twilight. If you can get a Cronenberg movie, that's a that's something to show for yourself. That's good. Yeah, and I thought, uh, like, just from what I read, like, it seemed like he was pretty... He wasn't sure if he could succeed in the type of films like this. Like, I think this is more like stuff that he likes, you know? Yeah. So he was feeling wary of his talent or skill at being in these sort of things. And getting cast in this movie sort of proved to himself that uh, that he was worthy, you know? Sure. And since then, we've gotten so much RP content that rocks. So oh, Absolutely. You yeah. Know. I'm happy He's only gotten better with time. Uh, in some ways. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that. It only in some ways. I mean, we do stand. But the first choice that I think that we're both going to um, stand and laugh about is uh, his accent in this movie. <laughs> yep. As we know, RP refuses to go to a dialect coach ever. And uh, I would say, similar to his character in Maps to the Stars, actually, he is about 50% boston accent yeah 50 percent uh normal <laughs> or like a different uh american accent yeah and, just uh, like with no continuity there throwing for like the east coast and just getting to like i don't know eastern ohio <laughs> but every now and again he'll he'll have a couple lines that sound super boston so super bostony yeah his guy is supposed to be in new york so like i don't think that i mean probably similarly to how like there are what like 20 different english dialect like british dialects or whatever or yeah. like british accents i couldn't tell you what's what or with the difference or anything it's probably i would imagine similar to them thinking about over here like boston and new york like does he know the difference i don't know (laughs) you know as far as accents go i don't think i could do i'm not even gonna try the accents no (laughs) i i tell you i could not do if you told me on the spot like difference between new york and boston accent i i don't think i can do it but i think i could tell if people were were doing it boston (laughs) the celtics the celtics the Bruins. That's not even an accent. You're just being normal. The Pats. <laughs> You're just naming Boston things in an Indiana <laughs> accent. <laughs> Similar to what uh, RP has done. So at the beginning, he's looking pretty cool, too. He's got some shades. You think he looks cool? And <laughs> I think he looks cool-ass. Like, he looks All like... Right. Um, Cool ass and cool are two different things. He looks cool ass like he's trying hard to look cool, much like how the uh, song in the trailer <laughs> was sounding. <laughs> I do have to say, though, especially once he takes off his glasses later, I think that this movie may be the peak cutest RP's ever looked, possibly. I think. What you do you think? think? Yeah, uh, I don't typically find him to be very cute. I think he kind of looks like an alien, but in certain parts of this movie, I was like, well, he's maybe a little cute. I think, look, I, I, I know you're going to think this is ironic. This is not ironic. <laughs> Lighthouse, he looks outstanding. Uh, I don't know. Just the mustache? Well, maybe. Love it. You're more attracted to masculinity than I am, I think. Yeah. And he's yeah. a little more baby-faced in this one. Yeah. So, he, well, he, that he tracks. Looked... That tracks for us. <laughs> yep. All right. And moving on. <laughs> anyway, I thought he looked cute in this movie at certain points. We should assess the cuteness of actors more often 
No, I think we do it enough. I'm thinking we about do it do now. It we enough. do it literally every episode. Uh, yeah, we do. I feel weird about it sometimes because, like, I don't want to be, like, uh, judging people's physical appearance. I kind of think physical appearance is mostly irrelevant. But also, I don't know. If people are hot, I think it should be <laughs> noted. So, yeah, uh, I agree. So what do you do there? I don't know. <laughs> we, look, we're, we're taking in an audio-visual medium. The uh-huh. visuals matter. Yeah, they do. And some people got pretty good visuals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the first things that he does in this movie is get in this limo, right? So the majority of this movie takes place inside this limo with other characters kind of popping in and popping out. Yep. My third note is, is this movie just our Pat having dialogue in car for two hours? And mm-hmm. Vampires close? and cars getting... Uh, rich? <laughs> Just rich, yeah. Spin-off show. Oh, man. <laughs> Did any of this dialogue matter? <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to that. Um, yeah. Well, just to finish setting up the limo thing. Oh, sure, sure. Setting up the story, he's filthy rich and wants to get a haircut across town. So he's in the limo. That's kind of the whole, the whole movie takes place over this one day of him trying to get a haircut across town. So there's the setup. Then, yes, uh, most of the dialogue in this movie is um, pretty cold and emotionless. It's kind of filled with a lot of jargon and business talk. And also, likewise, a lot of the characters that we meet in the limo don't really have any discernible personality or relevance to the world. And when I was watching this, okay, so maybe you should just say up top, I guess, get this out. Um, yeah. I found this movie to took a lot more brain to watch than I have to give, I think. <laughs> I, I, I uh, respectfully disagree with your <laughs> assessment. Well, I just found, yeah, there's so much dialogue, tons of dialogue, loads of dialogue. I do want to say. Mostly irrelevant. When huh? I say I disagree with you, I don't mm. mean you don't have enough brain. What it demands, it does not compensate for with reward in my opinion yeah i think that i i agree with that you put in the you did put in the time like i know how you watch movies you write down Mm -hmm. lines and i uh, shit i wish i would have written down some of the lines because they're (laughs) insane i think knowing it was adapted from a book and probably a lot of the dialogue is ripped from a book yeah makes a lot more sense if i read this i think it would be more interesting because there's things like Characters repeating lines or asking incredibly blunt questions like, I want you to tell me one thing. And then someone says, I will tell you one thing. The one thing. They talk like fucking Purred Happily from Parks and Recreation. (laughs) There's just like a lot of words and most of them are meaningless. But if you're trying to watch this with a critical eye and absorb everything that they're saying and pay attention to everything that they're saying, I think you just can't. I mean, most of it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but they're throwing so much at you, I guess is kind of what I was saying. And I think that we're truly agreeing, even though we're just saying it in different ways. Yes, I, I agree yeah. with that. So when I watched this, I did find it pretty taxing to watch. Agreed. But I guess also I'll go ahead and preemptively agree with Kali that this movie felt like 100 hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but <laughs> we're, I, I, I know it sounds like we're 
fucking impulsive goldfish brained babies mm-hmm. like oh we can't listen to dialogue like really pay attention to character development through dialogue the most base human like whatever you want to whatever however you want to like label it as artistic or whatever or profound mm-hmm. but it's just everything they present you with you're just kind of like okay sure so here's the thing so that was my that was my experience watching it but since then i've had time to so i watched this a few days ago i've had time to sit on it think about it i've also read a bunch of stuff etc yeah. and i think i understand better now what was trying to be portrayed i can kind of see it a little better than i could just watching it so i at least now get what they were going for i'm pretty sure but that doesn't still mean that i liked it exactly yeah Um, i think that being said i think at the beginning of this movie what they're trying to portray here yeah i do think most of the dialogue really is inconsequential it doesn't really it doesn't mean anything doesn't matter what they're trying to portray is the sort of lack of humanity and the lifelessness among the absurdly rich which he is yeah and like the banality of the types of jobs that they have and how these people are boring and robotic and just have no they're so rich they no longer have emotions even you know Mm -hmm. you can't fear anything you can't be excited about anything because you have so much money you can just fix anything or have anything you want at any time you know what i mean so i think that's what they're trying to portray towards the beginning of the movie with all this useless dialogue and this these emotionless people just saying so many words that mean nothing. They're basically talking about investing and speculating in foreign currencies. Yeah, uh, so I was so perplexed by the dialogue that was going on that I turned on subtitles and just started Googling some of the words that they were saying. Because oh I was yeah. like, what the fuck are they even talking about? Um, and yeah, it's all <laughs> foreign currencies. Yeah. He has some kind of job that has to do with the price of foreign currencies or whatever. Nobody cares. So, <laughs> no, no one gives a fucking shit. And that's the but worst that's part the of point. it. Is, yeah. is like these motherfuckers who like deal with. Uh, and they even bring this organization up, the IMF, the Inter- International Monetary Fund, which is a criminal fucking organization that everyone involved with should be blanked. <laughs> they're so boring and it's so dull, but everything they're doing is so fucking greedy and mm-hmm. does not create anything useful for people. And it creates so much fucking misery what they do. But it's so boring that no one wants to fucking give a shit about it. So I read this line from a New York Times uh, review uh well first i should say by the end i think there is like a message overall and there is transition to that message but just kind of on what we're saying they were saying that um these banalities which here when you're listening to all this dialogue are accompanied by glazed eyes are also sort of to the point that the world is burning and all that some of us can do is look at the flames with exhausted familiarity so mm. We know this. We It's like we already know that rich people are soulless. And <laughs> I think this movie is more prescient in 2012 when it came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was as much of a... I mean, Occupy Wall Street had obviously happened or was taking place. So there was like some stirrings, like some of the first major stirrings of the proverbial left since like basically 90s. Mm-hmm. But in 2021... Yeah, there are fucking (laughs) memes about it. 
Yeah. It, it's everywhere. So it yeah, doesn't. So you do, yeah, you do kind of have to look at this with 2012 eyes as well. Yeah. It's very of the moment. But even then, it's just like <laughs> you can deliver this message in a more interesting way. Yeah. So next in the movie is when he just pops out of his limo and gets into a taxi with a woman. <laughs> this shit like this happens the entire movie. And I tell you what, by the first time I was just like, fine, whatever. I know this is going to happen again. <sighs> that we don't know who any of the characters are or anything about them or why they're there or what they're yep. doing. He's just yeah. going to show up. Boom. He's in. You don't. You never see him get out of the car. You just. Boom. He's in somewhere. Well, you do for this first one, obviously. But like mm-hmm. later on the movie, he's just. Oh, he's in a store. Oh, he's over here. He's over mm-hmm. there. So we find out later that this woman is actually his wife. But oh. we don't know that now. Uh, what she says is, I'm bad at geography and I learn things by asking the taxi drivers where they come from yeah and he says they come from horror and despair so he's kind of equating people with you know so-called lower class jobs with like horror and despair and those are those are nasty people what are you doing hanging around them kind of yeah he Um, loathes generally loathes the poor yeah and they go and get breakfast together (laughs) it's basically just him uh begging her for sex (laughs) oh my god it is stupid I, he goes, have you eaten yet? She's like, no, I haven't eaten yet. And he goes, oh, I am hungry. I want something thick and chewy. That's like gross. <laughs> I hate this. He, he is a little perverted, uh, pretty sexually pressuring her through uh, the whole day, really. But here in this first scene uh, was a little shocking to me. Just fr- coming from, well, I guess we did recently do a movie where he raped somebody. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was a little nasty. I I found it annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At that point, I I was already, the dialogue was so thick. Yeah. That you just have to, having to wade through it and like, yeah, I, subtitles on immediately. And when you read it, you're just like, why? You just said this. Why would you say the exact same thing again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of these ladies says, I don't understand this like six times in their conversation insane i do think that there's an interesting way to look at what's going on here is that it's not as apparent this early in the movie but the more that it goes on the more you see i kind of think the entire movie is sort of an examination between the relationship between rich people and their own humanity so in this sort of aspect i mean mainly what they're discussing is uh business money wealth yeah things like that but at the same time their own physical body keeps interrupting with its needs with food sex sweat physical health you know those things keep interrupting their kind of cold and meaningless conversations so it's kind of like how human are they what defines humanity, you know? <laughs> is yep. it just yep. having bodily functions or is it something more? And we do see throughout the movie, he has breakfast, lunch, and dinner in this movie. He has sex twice, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. these things keep coming up, these physical demands. So I think that's kind of huh. an interesting way to look at it. I agree. I think look, that's a, a really good way to look at it as a whole. Mm-hmm. Top to bottom, it, it paints an interesting yeah. picture. And I, I do think that most of the things that are interesting about this movie are top to bottom things and less beat to beat 
things. Yeah. Yeah. I just wrote all the subjects down. Like, this movie is about life, death, money, masculinity, possession, humanity. Mm -hmm. Just these big, huge topics. Mm -hmm. It's all subtext, mostly. Yeah. And um, I think one of the first interesting characters that enters the limo is, of course, Queen Juliette Binoche. (laughs) Yep. And they bang. That's the first thing we see that they're doing, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, she's introduced by them banging. This is, well, this was the first instance, but we covered Maps to the Stars first. Uh, So this will be the second time we've had uh, RP having limo sex. Third time we've had him having car sex on the pod. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Just interesting. Yeah. The boy stay busy, stay getting busy. Uh, <laughs> Andy also delivers the line, I'm a world citizen with a New York pair of balls. <laughs> I could, I was, shut up, shut up. To hear Robert Pattinson talk about his balls, strange. Buddy, you do not have chest hair. <laughs> it just like, seems sorry, so. Sweetie. <laughs> It just seemed so unnatural to me. <laughs> it was like I get like I buy it. It, it helps again context. Like you know, we have more faces for billionaires like Elon Musk, Bezos. We know they're fucking wieners. We know they're yeah. like shrimpy little wieners. So it makes sense. That, like <laughs> RP fits that mold. But they're but then to like briefly shift gears into Tony Soprano. He does it a couple times. Like shifts into Tony Soprano is like oh my big pair of balls. My fucking, my, I gotta get my fucking rocks off. I gotta fucking. But you don't think those guys are like that? Those guys are like that. Elon Musk and what's his head? Like, they're like that. They, is it cool when they're like that? No. No. It's not cool at all. It's dorky as fuck. But people are like, well, you're rich. So I guess we'll just deal with this. We'll deal with it. But you're not Tony Soprano. No. (laughs) But I'm certain that they have tried. (laughs) Tried Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> oh my god okay so the conversation about what do you remember what arpat and juliet binoche talk about post coitus uh i got like three things oh you got three things well she's the one who reveals that he's married to that girl from earlier yeah so they talk about that and how he's like whatever committing adultery yep they talk about how he's how they're both billionaires and they talk about the rothko paintings oh my god yes they are talking about buying stuff. Yeah. I really just rolled my eyes a bunch during this conversation. They're talking about these Mark Rothko paintings. He's a famous painter. So Julia Binoche says that some of the paintings are up for auction or up for sale or whatever. And Robert Pattinson, instead of wanting to just buy some of these paintings, he wants to buy the entire Rothko Chapel, which is a just chapel full of these paintings in Texas. He wants mm-hmm. to buy the entire chapel and put it inside his apartment. Yeah. He's kind of like, I don't want just like the normal rich people stuff that anybody could have. I want the whole chapel. Yeah. The world doesn't need this. I need this. <laughs> Give me yeah. the thing that I want. And he's very insistent. He's very insistent, even to the point where they do some pretty, I don't know, for a movie that's very much about subtext, this was a little too like on the nose, I think. Mm. Uh, but he was saying something like, "I wa- well, if I can buy it, it's mine. And Juliet Binoche is like, well, shouldn't it belong to the community? Like, mm-hmm. have you ever, ever heard of community good? And he just is insistent, like, if I can buy it, it is mine. But he's just mm-hmm. talking about just wanting to impose himself so much on the world. Mm-hmm. Again, like, I get the 65% because I was 
I was half in. Like, I'm like, okay, this is the subtext I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. It's the text I have the problem with. And there's so much text. <laughs> so much. Also, in this scene, we see the limo windows go from being pitch black to uh, letting in the outside. So he has some kind of tech in the windows. I also thought, so everything coming in through the windows is clearly like cgi green screened or whatever yeah, it yeah. is and poorly i think <laughs> and yeah. i felt the same effect from when we watched maps to the stars i also mentioned it in that episode that like a lot of the background seemed weirdly green screened or cgi'd and i didn't really understand why that was true and why it was so bad <laughs> it's the uh post 2010 Cronenberg effect. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be like a stylistic choice since he's done it in at least two movies. Yeah. But it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't understand why it's happening. And it's not, I I feel like it can't be a budgetary issue. This was like a $20 million movie. So I don't know, but it's just a strange choice, I think. Yeah, it, it didn't look incredible. I don't know. So, I mean, they just keep throwing things out like rp needs extra security the president's in town there's some celebrity who's having a funeral like a lot of things seem to be going on in this city at once while they're trying to get across town so that's kind of why it's taking so long for them to get across town Mm -hmm. and i think the next person who gets in the car is the chick from schitt's creek who i was excited to see i haven't really seen her in anything else you don't watch schitt's creek she is one of the main cast members. She's not in the family, but no, she no, runs no, no, the hotel. No, no, not in Schitt's Creek in the movie. Oh. Uh, she has, like, dark hair. She was, like, jogging. She's, like, sweaty. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, this leads to a pretty funny bit. Yeah, so she gets in the car, and then the doctor comes up to the window. And so, as we said, like, this whole movie, everybody's using so many words, so much jargon. They're fast talking. We had no fucking clue what they're talking about. And this guy comes up to the window and says... Hi, I'm Dr. Whatever. I'm your doctor for today. And they say to him, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Speak slowly. Speak clearly. We can't understand you. Which is, like, so funny because he's, like, the only person in this entire movie who's been using, like, plain English. (laughs) So I thought that was a good bit. (laughs) Hey, what the fuck? He's talking with some strange accent. Yeah. (laughs) He's just Uh, saying his title. And so I thought that was pretty funny. So yeah, he gets in the limo as well and starts doing a physical exam on RP. And we get to see topless RP, which I feel like we don't ever see really. Not often. Not that I can think of. I can't think of a single time. He probably was topless in part of Twilight. Probably. But other than that, I can't think of another time I've seen him topless. No. In a movie. We also find out he, he gets a physical. Okay. If he gets everything that we see him get every day <laughs> that can't be good but and what is it that we see him get <laughs> he gets a fucking colonoscopy all right he gets a prostate exam a prostate i think there's exam. a difference mm-hmm. yes 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 there is but every day it's a pretty extensive prostate exam <laughs> it goes on for a couple minutes and he gets horny as fuck while he's doing it. Well, who wouldn't? Got a couple fingers up there? <laughs> and he is face boyo, to face boyo. with 
who we're led to believe is some kind of business associate, mm-hmm. then they're basically just like, oh, why haven't we ever fucked? Yeah, and the the prostate exam goes on for, yeah, so long, several minutes, and they're... <laughs> RP and this chick are maintaining conversation the entire time, and in the background, you continue to hear, like, squishing macaroni noises. <laughs> in his face, like, Pattinson is like, you know, shooting blood to his head and just like, why don't, why don't we ever thought about being in love before? Oh, God. It was so, look, uh, you know what? I already respect it. It was, a, I, like, it's incredible it's choice. Funny. It's it is fucking funny. funny. <laughs> and this chick also stays sweaty the entire time she's in the car as well. It seemed like she was maybe like out for a jog or something when she oh, got into the car. She kept saying she was out for a jog. And then our Pat criticizes that she goes jogging. <laughs> just a weird like throwaway line where he's just like, you and your Jew. He calls it Judeo-Christian jogging. Does he? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? After a certain point, I think a lot of the dialogue just completely washed over me. Understandable. Yeah. It was hard to even discern what's going to be something that I need to know for later and what can I just let go because there's just was so much going on. Yes. But in this prostate exam also needs to be noted that he has an asymmetrical prostate because that comes up probably three more times. (laughs) Cool. Okay, so next is when he goes to lunch with his wife and he's again trying to get her to have sex. And while they're at the restaurant... We get these guys running in with a bunch of rats who are yelling, a specter is haunting the world. Here in a minute, when he's back in the limo, we see a full-on protest going on. People marching in the streets with rats, uh, people fighting. And on a screen there, we also see a specter is haunting the world, the specter of capitalism, which is, of course, a take on the opening line of the Communist Manifesto, A Spectre is Haunting Europe, the Spectre of Communism. Obviously, your boy, Karl Marx. (laughs) We love him. So, yeah. What, does that mean they're trying to get rid of capitalism? I think. Yeah. 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 Again, like, looking at it in context of when it came out, it is just kind of a take on Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't quite strike for me. I thought this would be interesting. Because I knew from, like, reading, like, brief descriptions, I knew that, like, a riot took place. Uh-huh. And the riot really just plays in the background. I think part of what we're supposed to glean from this is how separated he is from the rest of the world and totally. how protected he is inside of his, you know, precious limo and inside of his financial security that his needs and his problems are so separate from what the needs and problems of a normal person are and that even when he's inside his limo when the doors are closed you don't even hear the outside he's Mm -hmm. completely separated from the needs and struggles of the rest of the world and completely unaffected by it yeah so i think that's kind of what we're supposed to get from this yeah it's a it's a great message but it's the same message i think delivered in a better way uh, in the show Arrested Development, where Lucille says the, it's a banana, Michael, what could it cost? Ten dollars? That's all we needed in this whole movie. Yeah, like that that line, hilarious. And yeah, that's the point is like rich people are incredibly detached. Yeah. They have no idea how much you spend on groceries. They have no mm-hmm. idea 
how much we pay our like paying our bills. They have no mm-hmm. idea how expensive it is to be poor. And they think fourteen hundred dollars is going to uh, <laughs> be enough money to make you last for ten months. Yeah. So during this riot or whatever you want to call it, protest. The mm-hmm. limo is also tagged to hell and beat the fuck up. Destroyed on the outside, but internally still operating. Yeah. And next scene, he is, again, having sex. He's doing sex. He <laughs> Maybe one of the most intense sex scenes I've seen him do, I think. Yeah, He practically sure. eats a whole titty. And I've yeah, never oh, seen yeah. that from this boy. He's face to boob. It was a cool scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was a more entertaining scene than some of the others well nope it went on forever and it did go on forever and there's more of just like there's been a credible threat to your life and we're like do we even care good kill him you know (laughs) oh you're my head security's wife oh does that matter oh (laughs) your job is to keep me safe again it was just a 50 percent moment like i could see the like i could see it being done pretty coolly but he says you know shoot me with your taser so i can feel something that i've never felt before Mm -hmm. and it's like again the subtext is just cooler than the text yeah (laughs) like yeah a rich person would turn to bdsm because (laughs) just to feel something yeah to feel something that they don't naturally feel they don't don't naturally feel submissive Mm -hmm. and so it subverts their daily expectations kind of thing like that makes sense but i don't care who her husband is or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of husbands, the next scene is him meeting his wife for dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so again, a bodily function taking over. But so in this scene, he reveals to his wife that he has made some sort of bad business decision and therefore has lost all of his money somehow. Yes. And so his wife is like, look, I'll help you out financially, but I think it's pretty clear that our relationship is over and we're never going to have sex <laughs> yeah that was the other thing they've been married for weeks and they never had weeks. sex she also didn't know that he had blue eyes so uh they're married and he she doesn't know what color his eyes are uh you think they at their fucking wedding i don't know no sunglasses at his wedding i don't know that's why it's like what's going on here like I think in the first time that he tries to beg her to have sex they also sort of allude to that there was a prior time that they at least fooled around yeah and want to continue that but she seems so disinterested in him it, yeah it almost seems like sort of an arranged setting an arranged marriage or something i don't know mm-hmm. yeah trying to keep the money in the family just weird yeah so now he's lost all his money and uh i think this is the point when we start to see a turn in his humanity and how much humanity he has because up until now he's been so separated from humanity from emotion driving around in his fancy limo literally cordoned off from the rest of humanity yeah but the more the movie goes on from here and the more money he loses we start to see his humanity and his emotions poke through so Mm -hmm. the next thing that happens is that his friend comes in the car and tells him that his musician friend died and this is the celebrity funeral we've been hearing about the whole movie and i think this is the first time we see him have an emotional reaction to anything yeah uh, because he starts crying they're like mourning together they hug so he's starting to become more human maybe (laughs) and the more the movie goes on i think the more intense these you know so-called human moments become yeah 
Absolutely. And the more fallible he becomes as well and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We start to see him actually interact with people around him more. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we've seen him talk to his head of security throughout the movie, but not really any other of his... You know, as driver. No, and we or... start to get, yeah, after, I mean, we're like over an hour in now, you know, later on we'll get history about his family from like his barber. Yeah. And we'll see that he suddenly is able to be hurt. And, you know, those just aren't aspects that we've seen of him up until this point. Yeah. And the next thing that happens is he gets a pie in the face, which is maybe the first time that we see him be physically harmed i guess i don't know if harm is the right word but you know yeah assaulted it's an embarrassment yeah yeah definitely so he's feeling shame and embarrassment and vulnerability yeah uh it's like finally something from the outside has touched him for the first time physically yeah yeah and he's like there are you know a handful of paparazzi around mm-hmm. and he's just swinging at them like it's chaos he he does not he's used to so much control that he can exert yeah. and it's just gone at this point yeah and this pastry assassin is inspired by an actual man who was known as the custard pie anarchist amazing noel godin who's a belgian anarchist who's been regularly pieing people in positions of power since 1969 and his victims include the president of france nicolas sarkozy cool one of france's most well-known tv anchors bill gates and uh famous director jean-luc godard (laughs) Uh, also cool, because he's fucking sketchy as fuck, right? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. But if you say so, sure. Yeah, so this man's gone around pieing people in positions of power for decades now. Look. So this pastry assassin was based on him, and that's if, sick. If anyone wants to prank me by throwing a pie in my face, I would not be mad if you know what I'm saying. I got a sweet Throw a pie in my belly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's the first time that something uh, on the outside of his world that he's not been in control of has physically touched him and made him feel something, anything, but uh, something bad in particular. Yeah. Yeah. We're over an hour into this movie now. It's finally starting to pick up some steam here. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) He takes his... His head of security. His head of security. He takes his weapon. He's like, oh, look at this. It's a cool weapon. How's it work? It's voice activated, makes the head of security say the voice activated code to let it gas up, and uh, shoots him dead. (laughs) Boom. What? (laughs) And so he's slowly like breaking down the layers that have protected him since he's been rich. You know, he's starting with, uh, well, his money first, and then his wife, uh, and now his security. And later, we'll see him get rid of the car as well. So uh, just going layer by layer, getting these things out of the way. Yeah, there's not a ton of violence in this or gore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it is Cronenberg, and he, he always puts just a little in. Yeah. If, if not, goes, you know, full fly. But there's a scene earlier in the movie where, like, on his iPad or whatever, he's, like, looking at the news, and there was a, an attack on the head of the IMF. Uh, and the dude is, like stabbed in the face or in the eye repeatedly Mm, yeah and like boom that's it and then like to this it's the same just like kind of comes out of nowhere very graphic but for a very short period of time yeah and it's pretty emotionless yes yeah Ugh, weird but yeah you know what i was glad we got something moving (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I'm like, finally, now we're cooking. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, getting towards the evening. He finally makes it to the barbershop that's across town. And we find mm-hmm. out he's come to this specific barbershop because this man seems like he's been cutting his family's hair for a century, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's telling stories about his dad and all kinds of stuff. Absolutely fucks up RP's hair. Oh, which my is God. Pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he tried his. He wasn't meaning to. He tried his best. Sort of. I feel like even when you're trying, you don't end up with any shape like that. You well, know? <laughs> RP did leave the haircut pre. He did, but it, was it still was like. It was pretty chopped up. It Look, was pretty a mess. Yeah. What? I. I. Sorry, I'm pro barber on this situation. <laughs> I think I blame RP for the bad haircut. And he comes out of the the barber shop with not only an asymmetrical <laughs> prostate but also an asymmetrical haircut. Oh, get his ass! <laughs> get his literal ass. <laughs> <laughs> your hair looks like your prostate, you piece of shit. And by that I mean lopsided. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, his driver takes the limo to the limo garage. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he's abandoned the limo. He's now on foot. The whole movie, everyone has been saying how much he needs protection. And if he goes outside, he'll be shot on sight. It's so dangerous for him to be outside, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Then as soon as he does leave the limo, gunshots come out right next to him and someone screams his name (laughs) so i guess they were right yeah and he goes inside to confront the person who is the shooter and the shooter was paul giamatti with a towel on his head (laughs) uh i do love paul giamatti yeah i anytime i see him in a movie i am happy to see him i feel like you don't see him too often anymore i'm like when's the last time i saw paul giamatti i think he's doing more vo work lately more what work Voice acting. Oh, voiceover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Paul Giamatti, hit us up. <laughs> PG. <laughs> Come on the pod, baby. I would love to have Paul Giamatti on. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine time. the conversations? <laughs> so, yeah, Paul Giamatti wants to murder Robert Pattinson. And you can pull that quote for your news reports. Um, <laughs> but RP is so casual about their conversation. He's pretty unfazed by the fact that uh this man wants to and will kill him (laughs) he yeah he says over and over like this is how i'm going to be known yeah uh like this is his purpose Mm -hmm. i think some of the the stuff that happens in the scene with pg and rp (laughs) is some of the most visually interesting of the entire movie yeah Uh, the, the composition the room that they're in like the space that they occupy the way they physically are proportioned to each other, I think it's the most visually interesting part of the whole movie to watch. Mm-hmm. And even like the ways, like there's part of the time RP like goes behind this window and just like opens the blinds and starts talking to Paul Giamatti through the blinds for like, no, they're like still in the same room. Like why yeah. is he going through the blinds? You know, I think that's an interesting choice. And I thought it was interesting to watch. Yeah. And uh, at one point also, there, there's like a um, a porta potty in the room. <laughs> yes. That just like has a hole that goes down through the building, I guess. <laughs> RP has this line, oh, holes are interesting. There are books about holes. 
Like, what does that even mean? That's what the whole movie is like. That's it. What does that even mean? Yeah. God, my last note is Arpat says to him something like, you know, now is the time for a philosophical discussion between us. And I'm just like, now? Buddy, you've been doing these all day. You want to keep going? Can't get enough of this stuff. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also in this part uh robert pattinson shoots his own hand which was interesting (laughs) sure sure yeah just like i said getting increasingly more vulnerable and physically uh able to be destroyed i guess yeah and i do also i mean i mentioned that i like the compositions but i did really like the composition of the final shots where like paul giamatti is standing behind the couch or whatever and rp in front they hold that shot for a long time and I just thought it looked really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cronenberg, this movie, I don't think tarnishes his career severely in, a, in any way or makes mm-hmm. me doubt him as a director uh, because, you know, yeah, shots like this. Mm-hmm. Solid, like, yeah, it looked great. I think, yeah, something positive you could say about the entire movie was that technically, besides that green screen thing that I mentioned, I think it's done very well. Like, all the shots are cool the compositions are cool the camera work is cool um how they use their physical space is cool Um, yes so i think technically it's done very well do we love what's going on in the story you know no (laughs) yeah it's just it's a swing and a miss well let me finish out the movie because we're so close so they build and build and build this tension between the two of them that paul giamatti is going to shoot him he wants to shoot him because he wants his life to mean something, and that will mean that he means something. He says, I wanted you to heal me. I wanted you to save me. It's like yeah. putting all this weight on RP's character. Uh, so we get more and more tension. The music's building, and then we just roll creds with no climax. Sure. And one significant difference between the movie and the book, like I said, it was a pretty close adaptation, but one significant difference is that in the book... Ben O'Levin, who is Paul Giamatti's character, gets his own confessional chapter after the story's conclusion, uh, indicating his murder of R.P.'s character well before the fact, well before the end of the story's conclusion. And the effect of this change from the book to the movie, I think, reduces uh, Paul Giamatti's character to the same level of the other character's that we've seen throughout the story. Yeah, um, I agree. Where they only kind of exist in relation to him and not outside of that in a relation to Robert Pattinson's character. Mm-hmm. And if we would have seen that final chapter with just Ben Eleven or Paul Giamatti's character, it would kind of indicate a world that exists outside of Robert Pattinson's character, which uh, thus far to the movie, Cronenberg had strictly avoided portraying, right? Yeah, Everything we've yeah. seen only exists in relation to Robert Pattinson's character. Um, and even if he had shown the murder at the end of the movie, that also would have broken the rule. So I do understand why he didn't show the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I still wish he did. <laughs> yeah. Give me the satisfaction. I wish there know? was literally any payoff to this yeah. movie. <laughs> you don't even get it. Yeah. Like 20 minutes in. You're like, oh yeah, he's gonna die. That's the only way this movie can really yeah. feel satisfactory is for him to like get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Nope. And also the final credits, um, the way that they looked was inspired by Rothko's paintings. They're basically Rothko's paintings that are going in the credits. So cool. That was my last note on anything that happens in the movie. Yeah. So what are you? Do you have final thoughts? Um, not really. I feel like I, got, I feel like I've made my point pretty well. Yeah, I feel like I I've just... said fifty percent enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we go into scoring? What do you give this out of five? I know. I just said I'm not. The stars do not correspond. It just gets two stars out of me. Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff to like, but overall, I just felt it was drowned in this thick kind of arduous dialogue that really doesn't draw you in there are movies that are all talking and they're done well you know uh, yeah but there has to be something else behind it you know reservoir dogs so much talking but you get to see blood you, like progression happens more arcs happen mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know what about you i guess i'm probably also gonna go to yeah two and two twinergy for our two-year anniversary episode hey Um, (laughs) for our two-year anniversary we did a two-star movie yeah we did i think so i do think that they achieved what they set out to do right i understand Mm -hmm. um the evolution of the character and what they were trying to say with that and even to your point of how the dialogue made you glaze over. I think even that was intentional, but I just found this movie to be so exhausting to watch. I found it an exhausting chore. It felt like a hundred hours long. And I, I'll tell you, I sit through all kinds of shit I don't like. And I felt like this was uh, extra unpleasant. (laughs) It truly felt so long to me. Yeah. I kept having to pause even just to like give my brain a break. It was hard to watch. It was hard. Yes. And like, I love Robert Pattinson. I love Juliet. And I like, I love a lot of the people in this movie. Their performances. I mean, their performances were good. They were, you know, they're all great actors. But yeah, it just was rough to watch. And then to go through all that, you finally get to the end and there's no payoff. (sighs) I, I was just like, really? I mean, all this and I get nothing for it? <laughs> yeah. Just not, did not satisfy in the end. Not at all. Yeah. So I tried to watch some other Cronenberg stuff to try and like even it Balance out. Balance it out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this movie was, was rough. And I would say also extremely forgettable. I mean, because you don't engage with any of the dialogue. I told Kali before we started recording, I was like, I hope I can even remember what happened in this movie because it's so forgettable to me. And you hate to say it. Yeah. Would we recommend? It is what it is. I would generally not. No. I say no. I say solid no. (laughs) There are better movies from all of them. Yeah. I can't imagine a person I would recommend this to. If you want a better movie about communism (laughs) or anti-capitalism, at least. Those exist. Better movies with RP, better Cronenberg movies, better movies for all these people. Watch there High Life. are good financial <laughs> thrillers, like movies about yeah. fucking uh, Wall Street is not a bad movie. Like, it's interesting and well-paced, at least. But we did it. We had some great combo on it, I we think. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Top tier up, as they all are. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's time for... 
Screen vomit. So, uh, in this part of the show, we go off about whatever else we've been watching, movies, shows, etc. So, Kali, what you been watching? I did not watch a lot this week. Really? The, the movie, two movies I did watch, great movies, I will say. First okay. movie, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Which one is that? Which number? That's the first one. Okay. She claims to have seen them before, but does not remember any of that at all. Well, they came out a long time ago, right? Oh, one. Yeah. Lindsay was four years old. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. She was born in 95. Okay. Oh, my bad. She was six years old. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I saw this shit and it's very big in my childhood. Fucking love Lord of the Rings. And at least to me, shit still holds up. I love it. Blast to watch. Yes. I'm sure a lot of that is entwined nostalgia. with nostalgia like watching them every day with my brother after school for a long yeah. time my little brother who is your age was uh obsessed when we were kids so cool so, yeah. yeah i loved it and then i watched uh che part one it's a che guevara biopic starring benicio del toro okay uh as che guevara and it's directed by S- steven soderbergh who i was like who is that who is that Oh, he's done Ocean's 11, 12, 13, Aaron Brockovich, Magic yeah. Mike, Logan Lucky, famous. like mm-hmm. famous. And I tell you what, he fucking it's a good movie. It's a long movie. It's you know, 2 hours and it's a lot to take in and I don't as a communist, I still don't know a ton about the Cuban Revolution or mm-hmm. um you know, I I always I I think I got turned off by all the Che t-shirts I saw as a kid yeah <laughs> and was just kind of like it was it had such a moment <laughs> yeah I was like okay yeah. Che Guevara sure 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 uh but the movie is outstanding even not knowing a whole lot you know just knowing you know the two like all you know is Fidel Castro and Che Guevara it still is accessible enough and more than anything holy shit Steven Soderbergh is so fucking good at showing montages and editing like yeah. moving things along, outstanding. Mo- like the montages are just like them walking through the jungle, them building a school, them you know talking and drinking and smoking. But it's shot in like such an enticing way. Steven Soderbergh fucking rocks. That's awesome. What have you been watching? Okay, wow, short one from Kali this week. Okay, so I watched a few things. I'll I'll put out an extra one. Just yeah, to... go on. Okay, so. On recommendation from past guest Mike Saunders, I watched this movie, See You Next Tuesday, which is a, a character study type film about a um, a poor kind of dysfunctional family, uh, mainly circles around one of the daughters in the family. There's queer aspects. There's like a mother who's recovering from addiction. It has a pretty cool like escalation of events throughout the movie and yeah. uh the emotional performances in the movie, outstanding. I mean, yeah. they are fully acting with their entire spirits. Um, and so that was pretty good. See you next Tuesday. Nice. And then, because I am who I am, I was looking at what <laughs> people in that movie are in besides that movie. Yep. So I found this movie called Women Who Kill, uh, which is another like independent movie 
that yeah. uh, it's about these two ladies who are exes who have a uh, murder podcast, like a true crime okay. serial killer podcast together. Okay, so this came out fairly recently. Yeah, I think it's like 2016, 2018. Sure. I don't know, something like that. Some, somewhere in the late uh, 20s. Yeah. <laughs> so they have the podcast together and uh, about murder serial killers. And um, one of them starts dating a new girl who has some suspicious behaviors, let's oh, just say. Okay. Uh, and that was like surprisingly funny for being like such an independent film. Like they're usually uh hit or miss <laughs> but yeah so that was pretty good and i watched this movie big man japan have you seen this <laughs> uh no i i like you the title i think you would die i mean it um I'm the premise it down. is insane i think it's one of the most unhinged films i've ever seen in my life um, i can't decide if it is terrible or genius but i'm leaning towards genius it's sort of like I mean, it's it's fictional, but it's shot like documentary. So I guess uh-huh. like mockumentary or whatever. And it's about this guy in Japan who is part of this uh, this lineage of men in Japan who can get extremely big and help defend Japan from monsters. Yeah. But it's like it's not animated or anything. I mean, it's real. It's live action. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> just some of the most unhinged shit I've ever seen. And I have to say, if you watch it and you get to the first monster attack and you're like, I'm turning this off, don't turn it off. You got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking insane. Uh, yeah, on the list. Okay. And it's free on Tubi, I think. So oh, the ads. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. And then I watched on... Actually, recommendation from another past guest, Jackson Easinga. I watched Rent the Pal, which he talked about when he was on. But uh, yeah, it's just like another one of those man in his 40s who lives in his mom's basement type movies um, who's antisocial. Okay. Yeah. He gets a VHS that's like supposed to be this guy is your friend when you watch this VHS. Sure. Well, let's sure. just say he goes a little unhinged. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I want to say, so it is sort of a horror movie. There are things I thought were really cool about it, and I'd like to say what those things were. However, it would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to spoil it. But let's just say there are some choices that are made that I thought were really unique and cool in this movie. You got some Will Wheaton action in there. Yes, there is Will Wheaton. Yeah, he plays the the pal on the videotape. Wow. (laughs) Of flubber fame. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and more notably Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) But uh, yeah, okay. And then I'm going to name two shorts real fast. So everybody knows I've been doing a short film challenge where I watch a short film every day. And uh, I've been posting them on our IG stories every day. And I have a Google Doc in our link tree, which is in the show notes, that anybody can watch of good short movies. Short movies? Short films. Um, Yeah. So, that being said, I watched two shorts recently that I thought were very good. Okay, one of them is a horror short called To the Boy in the Plaid Shirt uh, by Adam Murray. What, uh, one thing I think is really cool about it is that it has almost no dialogue in the entire thing, but uh, still tells a really scary, twisted story. There's some uh, twists going on, and it was very cool. And then secondly, I'm going to name The Altruist by Christopher Borgley, who I've mentioned Christopher Borgley several times on pod. I really like his films. It's a three-minute short, and I just thought it was really funny. It's done really cool. It's about, um, it's basically him calling his friends uh, in quarantine who have been 
without being bad in quarantine. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but it's funny. It's really funny. It's not. It's yeah, not yeah, bad. yeah. It's good. The Altruist by Christopher Borgley and To the Boy in the Plaid Shirt by Adam Murray. Okay. Those Hell are yeah. two, two good shorts that I watched recently. Okay. And that's it for me. <laughs> okay. All right, so obviously follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at Screen Vomit. One word on all the things. Uh, give us a subscribe if you haven't already on your podcast app or YouTube. We're on all the things. And uh, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. Um, you can send us an email at ScreenVomitPod at gmail.com or tweet us with your thoughts on this movie or other movies or suggest a movie. Hey, if you want to hear me talk about labor and uh unions and organizing i got a pod called how to fire your boss it's up on all the stuff and next week we'll have another special episode because hate to say it but it will be my birthday time oh so yummy so i picked us a movie that uh so when it was collie's birthday we got to watch a movie that collie loves and i hated uh-huh. um <laughs> well i i loved and you were wrong about <laughs> so now it's my turn <laughs> to pick something wild that Kali may or may not Hell like yeah. that I love, uh, which is this movie called The Ornithologist, um, which you can find on Amazon, Vudu, or YouTube. It is a Portuguese movie, so there will be subtitles involved. And I'd like to suggest a prime viewing vibe for this movie because okay. I think there's a prime way to watch it, which is daytime alone and uh you, it's a movie you got to set up a vibe for. There's a very okay. meditative pace, especially at the beginning. Um, I think it's it's best watched alone, personally. Right. And also, I think, <laughs> because I didn't know this going into it, and it made a lot more sense, this is really stupid, but an ornithologist is a bird watcher. So yes. that's just something you should know. <laughs> yes. I knew that. Uh, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so uh made a lot more sense once I <laughs> knew that. <laughs> all right so watch the ornithologist and check out uh next week's ep all right and we'll yeah. see you then <laughs> okay bye goodbye don't make me talk in an irish accent for the rest of the episode <laughs> So you can't cut that. <laughs> <laughs>